author Richard Swenson said it this way, just take a look at our lives. We send products by Federal Express. We use a phone company called Sprint. We manage our finances with Quicken. We schedule appointments in a day runner. We diet with Slim Fast and swim in trunks made by Speedo. No wonder we're tired, right? Because we're constantly on the go and we're trying to keep up with the neighbors and we're trying to add just one more thing to the schedule and we're taking on new responsibilities and then somebody comes along at work and dumps another project on our desk and then there's an invitation that shows up and we really can't say no to that invitation and there's a new thing that we like to sample. We've heard about that. That sounds good too. And we're multitasking and we're spinning plates and we're taking on all these things and we've got so many things going on in our lives that we end up feeling worn out and exhausted. And just hearing me talk about it makes you feel that way, doesn't it? We feel exhausted and our souls suffer for it. See, we usually think of I'm tired and that's a physical thing. I'm going to go to bed, get some sleep, whatever like that. I'm going to be okay. And that's true. But don't forget the fact that we are interconnected beings. We are not just bodies. We are bodies and souls. And we're bodies that are made up of relational parts and rational parts and emotional parts and moral parts and spiritual parts and all of these things come together and they make us who we are and we're interconnected but what happens is when we get too tired in life we have to draw reserves and resources from other parts of us beyond just the physical And one of the places that we do that is we take it from our souls and we leave our souls feeling exhausted and depleted as well. And so this morning, if you come in and you're tired and you're exhausted, it's not just a physical thing, is it? A lot of times you can say, well, it's it's an emotional thing or it's a mental thing. Well, what it really is, is it's a soul thing. And we steal from the inside of us to try to deal with the outside of us. And we leave ourselves feeling frustrated and unfulfilled on the inside. And maybe that describes you this morning. You came in and it's like, oh, one more thing to do. I am so tired and now I got church and it's just like another thing on the to-do list, but I know I should be there and, and uh, you know, it's cold and that makes it a little more fun because it's a challenge, right? And so I'm going to make sure that I get there. But we live in this crazy world and we live at a crazy pace and we do crazy things to ourselves. But is this really a good way to live? Is pushing and pushing and pushing and going and going and going, is that really a positive thing? Is living at the point of physical exhaustion even healthy? And is this really what God had in mind when he created mankind? Do you think he put Adam in the garden? He said, okay, Adam, I want you to take care of this garden. And here's what I mean by that. I'm expecting you to put in an 80-hour week. In fact, you better be the first one to arrive and the last one to go home, or it's not going to go well with you when we get to your performance review. That's probably not how it happened. In fact, we have a pretty good picture that it didn't happen that way. And so we're going to start out in Genesis chapter 2 this morning. We've been talking about this idea of soul care. And we've had a list, and if you want, it's on the back of your uh, notes this morning. You can look at that list and say, how is my soul today? And maybe you could check off different things, and you can see some that are highlighted, especially on the left there. And you can look at that and say, that's my soul. It's exhausted. It's depleted. It's worn out. It's tired. 
Well, God's Word has some solutions and some answers and some help for us this morning. Last week we talked about a similar thing where maybe you just kind of feel like numb, dull, kind of like listless. We talked about this idea of spiritual hydration, how spending time with God in, in, in quantity amounts actually lets Him pour into us and lets Him refresh us and restore us. Well, this morning we're going to take a little bit different tact and we're going to actually talk about how we can revive or refresh our souls even from a very physical approach. So how is your soul today? Is it worn out? Is it tired? Is it exhausted? What's causing the problem? Well, the answer seems obvious, right? It's all these things that we're trying to do. And we have all these things that we're trying to do for, for various reasons, right? We're trying to do a lot of things just because we have a lot of responsibilities in life. You know, we've got jobs and we've got families and we've got church responsibilities and maybe we have other responsibilities, you know, civic responsibilities. And we have all these different roles and responsibilities and, and all these different things that we're supposed to be doing. And that's why we're doing it. Sometimes we have all these things that we do because it makes us feel better about ourselves. We live in a very productive, production-oriented society where the measure of a person is is based on what? How much he can produce. And, and you know, the, the company values you on, on how much you can contribute you know, to, to the, the bottom line, right? And so we find our value sometimes in our performance and what we do. We live in a world that's going nuts. And it's kind of like, if I don't keep pace, I'm going to get run over. It's like if you're only doing 75 in the middle lane, you're in big trouble on 75, right? But we feel that sometimes. And sometimes I think we even keep ourselves busy because it hides what's going on inside of me. And if I can go, 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 I never have to think about what's happening inside my soul. And so the answer to me seems obvious, right? If we've got too much stuff that we're trying to do, maybe we need to do less. The problem with that is, what do you cut out? Well, I can't really cut out work. That's kind of like how I get money to buy food and you know pay for the mortgage, and that's how I live. I can't really cut that out. And I really can't cut out my marriage. That would be bad, right? Or I really cannot cut out my kids. And we start to go through our list, and it's like, gosh, I don't know what I can cut out. And so that doesn't really seem like a very practical solution. Well, let me give you one that seems even more impractical, okay? I'm going to suggest this morning that instead of eliminating something, you add something. That's right. We're going to put one more thing on the list. And if you think I'm crazy, hang with me for just a second here, okay? Because I honestly believe that if you will add this one thing, it might revitalize your soul. And this thing is called... Sabbath. And it's a term that we're familiar with and we hear it talked about in church, but I'm not sure that we're all that familiar with what it really means and we're not very familiar with the practice that Sabbath talks about. And so we're going to explore this idea of Sabbath this morning and learn how it might help you care for an exhausted soul. So all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to begin with. Genesis chapter 2, verse number 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God was not tired. Okay? God doesn't get tired. If he's resting, there's a reason for it. 
So he rested and he blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work he was creating and all the things that he had done. And we see here that God takes a Sabbath. Not because he was tired, but because he wanted to set a precedent and because he had a point to make. And it's this point that the world is created with a rhythm of rest. And so the idea was we work one day, 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 I lost track. And somewhere here we get to rest. On the seventh day, we get to rest. But there's actually more to this story than what we realize. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse number 5, God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And there was evening, and there was morning, and that was the first day. And he established something in the very fifth verse there, okay? He established the fact that there's going to be days and there's going to be nights. And when he made the day and when he made the night, he stepped back and said, okay, that's enough for now. And somehow he took a break and he called it a day. Well, it goes on there in verse number 8, and and he, he does the next thing where he separates the waters from the sky. And he says, and there was evening and there was morning and there was the second Day. And so we're getting a rhythm here. Day. Day. And we get down to verse number um, 12. The lamb produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, the trees bearing fruit with seed according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning in the third day. And so we see this pattern of work, rest. Work, rest. Work, rest. Rest. And we start to see added in here, and if you follow through the whole first chapter of Genesis, work, rest, and, and at the end of the day, God steps back and says, oh, that's good. That's good. And then he works the next day, and he stops and says, that's good, and there's rest. And God is not resting because he's tired. God is resting because he is telling us the creation depends on this idea of rest. God took a Sabbath to emphasize the necessity of rest. The earth was finished in six days. He could have just gone on from there. But he stops on the seventh day and said, okay, this is something I want you to observe in me because this is something you need to copy in you because this is how you were created. even blessed the seventh day. Did you notice that? He blessed that day. He called it holy and said, this day is better than all the other days. The day of rest and he highlights this principle of rest because we are rest-based creatures that doesn't describe us does it we're busy creatures we're go 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 creatures we are got to get more things done creatures we got look how many things are on my list creatures and god says no 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 you are rest creatures in fact let's do a little bit of math here okay If we go to day one and we have a work period and a rest period, it's tied one to one, right? Two to two, three to three, four to four, five to... Okay, we get all the way to Saturday and it's tied six to six. Rest and work. And then we hit the Sabbath, the seventh day, and it's rest and rest. And guess who wins? Eight to six. Rest wins because God made us to be rest-based creatures. Well, then God goes on and he commands his people to take Sabbaths. And, and uh, we talk about the uh, Ten Commandments right there 
in the middle of the Ten Commandments is the command to observe the Sabbath. And this is where we're actually, the idea, the name Sabbath is attached to the practice of a seventh-day rest. Exodus 28 says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That, that's an idea that comes up again. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it's a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you nor your son or your daughter or your manservant or your maidservant, not even your animals. Your animals get a break on this day nor even the stranger within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And there's several points that come up in this passage. Let me mention them this morning. The first one is this. We are to remember the Sabbath. It's like I say, don't forget this. Don't blow right past it. It's really easy to say, look at all this stuff I have to get done. I don't have time to take a break right now. And God says, no, 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 you need to remember it. Then he says this, you need to keep it holy. You need to keep it set apart. It needs to be different from the other days. And it's actually, you know, keep it holy. It needs to have a spiritual aspect to it too. We can add this. It's for everyone. That means if you're sitting in this room, it's for you. That means if you're not sitting in this room, it's for you. This is even for your... Most of you don't have work animals, okay? But if you have, you know, oxen that are out plowing your fields, it's for them too, okay? And maybe you have dog sleds and they came in here this morning, okay? Somewhere they get a day off, but it's for everyone. And it's supposed to be a special day of blessing. That showed up in in Genesis 2. It shows up here again in Exodus 20. And God says, this is a day that I am blessing you. It's a gift. It's a gift where God says, I don't expect anything out of you today. Take the day off. And so he gives his people a Sabbath as a gift to them, but also as a reminder of God's provision. And actually, observing the Sabbath is a way that we worship. I think this will make sense. When God says to tithe or or to give, and you look at your bank book and you say, man, I don't really have the resources to do this, but I'm going to do this anyhow. It's an act of worship, right? And it's an act of trust. And okay, I'm not sure how this is going to work out, but but, okay, God, I'm going to honor you with my giving in in the financial world. And we find that when we do that, that somehow you can give God 10% and you still have enough for what you need. The Sabbath is a similar principle. But instead of trusting God with my finances, I'm trusting God with my time. And saying, well, I've got all these things that I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know how I could ever get that done. But you know what, God? If you say so, I'm going to give you my time. And I'm going to trust you that in somehow... You'll make it up to me. Marva Dawn, in her book called Keeping the Sabbath Holy, tells a story of a wagon train of Christian people that was going out to Oregon way back in the day. And as they approached winter, they realized that they weren't going to make their destination. But they've been keeping the Sabbath every, or they've taken you know, uh, a day every one and seven and saying we're not going to travel this day. We're just going to stop and we're going we're to spend two nights here and then we'll go on the next day. And there was a big division that came 
in this wagon train. And some of them said, we don't have time to do this anymore. We've got to make it before winter comes. And the other one said, no, we're going we're gonna to do this. And so the wagon train split. And do you want to guess which half made it there first? Yeah. The one that said, you know what, we're going to take a break. Because their animals were fresher, and they were fresher, and they were able to do this. And so observing the Sabbath is an expression of trust. It's me saying, God, I'm going to trust you with my time. Now, this is kind of cool, I think. The Sabbath in Scripture would have been on Saturday, and it would have been from sundown Friday night to sundown um, on Saturday. And, and don't I don't want to confuse the point because I'm not really talking about the actual time that you observe this. We see a shift in the New Testament. And, but I am talking about this idea where we take a day and say, this is going to be a day of rest. But God says, you know what? You're going to need some extra Sabbaths too. You don't have to look here now, but you might want to write this down. Leviticus 23 is a chapter that talks about all the feasts that the Jews were supposed to observe. These feasts were also called Sabbaths. And God actually added seven feasts or seven Sabbaths to the, to the Israelites' schedule. Some of these would just last a day. Some of these would last up to a week. But actually, God every year gave the Jews, his people, 19 bonus Sabbaths. So not only do you get 52 days off, God says, you know what, I'm going to give you 19 more. Isn't that the kind of boss you'd like to work for? This is the kind of God that you have. And Sabbath is an expression of his love. And these feast times were times of rest, but they were also times of celebration. And I think that's important to remember too. The Sabbath is a time for resting, but it's also a time for celebration. Well, you can go on here. Even God's creation, the land was to be given a Sabbath. In Leviticus 25, God said to Moses, speak to the Israelites, say to them, when you enter the land, I'm going to give you the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years, you can sow your fields, but on the seventh, it's to have a Sabbath of rest. Don't sow your fields. Don't prune your vineyards. Don't reap what grows in the harvest or whatever. The land is to have a year of rest. This is how deep this principle goes. But it makes a huge point, and the point is this. Adequate and intentional rest increases productivity. Adequate and intentional rest increases productivity. I always get a kick out of the fact that um, Christian companies like Chick-fil-A or like Hobby Lobby get criticized because they take Sundays off. They seem to be doing okay from everything I can see. If I go to the mall, I have to stand in line for a long time to get that stupid sandwich. But I'm going to do it, okay? But I think there's a point there, right? That we can take a break and we can still be productive because God honors the Sabbath day. So this whole idea of I have to keep going if I'm going to get it all done, it's not really in line with the Bible. In fact, you might likely get more done if you would take adequate rest. In fact, I just saw an article on entrepreneur.com this week, and it was entitled, Why Rest is the Secret to Entrepreneurial Success. And the whole premise of the article is when you're an entrepreneur, you want to just work 24-7. That's the dumbest thing you can do. Interesting, isn't it, that even society says, yeah, that's a good point. God's Son observed the Sabbath too. Jesus in Mark chapter 2 observes the Sabbath, and he makes this statement, the Sabbath was made for man, 
not man for the Sabbath. And in that statement, he makes a point. This is a gift that God gives us. This ability to take a day to rest, to take some time to rest, and to not feel guilty about it. Isn't that how? That's where I go. Okay, I'll take this day off. And then I'm trying to take a rest day, and I'm like, oh gosh, I should be doing something. I am like, I'm wasting time, you know, I'm only going to have this day one time. I gotta use this day, I can't. And it's God saying, no, you can, you can be okay. You don't have to feel guilty about this. And so to recap this quickly, God created the world, and He created the world to work within the rhythm of rest. And God comes along and says, let me give Sabbath to His people. And what it happens, we just blow right past it. You know, like, well, this is New Testament, Brent. This is not Old Testament. Sabbath was for the Old Testament. Okay, let's say that's a good, valid point, okay? But let's look at the Sabbath a little different way. Let's say that it's actually a gift. See, Sabbath is a great picture of grace, isn't it? Where God says, you know what? I'm just giving to you. I don't need anything from you. I'm just giving to you. In fact... You can get off the performance treadmill for a few minutes here. This is my gift to you. And we need to see it as a gift, not as an obligation. So the question is, why would you say no to a gift this nice? Why would you say, no, I can't take time? When God's saying, please, it'll be okay. It'll be good for you. It's it's my gift to you. And let me ask a bigger question. Why would you put your soul at risk by ignoring this principle? Because when we go, 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 our bodies can't handle it, and so they have to borrow from other parts of us. And they borrow, it borrows from our souls. And we put our souls at risk. I like how Thomas Merton put this, and it's a paraphrase of something he wrote, but he said this, When we allow ourselves to be carried away by a multitude of concerns... When we surrender to too many demands, when we commit ourselves to too many projects, when we want to help everyone in everything, when we are busier than what God requires, when we do all these things, we do violence to our souls. Wow. We do violence to our souls. So how do we observe the Sabbath? Okay, we're going to do a little demonstration this morning, and I'm going to show you how musical I am, okay? We're talking a little bit about rhythms here, so I'm going to move back here to the drum set, and I'm going to show you a gift that you didn't know I had. Is this all on for me? Will it work? Okay, so um, I'm going to get a few people to help me too. You might see that. I might need some help. So, okay, you ready? Is that all the louder that gets? What do you think? That bad? All right, Mike, you want to you want to try? See if you can do any better. Okay, wait a minute. Time up. How many are voting for Mike? Losers. How many are voting for me? Come on. Thank you. Yes. Come on, Luke. Come on. Mandy Sim, you want to ride home? 
It's really cold out there, girls, okay? Now, I, you know, I love Mike, and I love his spirit and, and what he does here. And one of the things that's really interesting about Mike is um, he wasn't a drummer growing up, right? No, and he decided one day he wanted to drum. Okay, and so somehow you uh, managed to figure that out. So give us a quick... Is that a funny way to put that? Sorry. I wasn't teaching him, okay, in case you're wondering. So give us a, like a little quick tour of the drum set there, if you wouldn't mind, Mike. Okay, and, and the kick, that's, that's where I was really good, was on the kick, and you notice that? Okay, so when you learned to play the drums, what was the hardest part about learning? Okay. Okay, so how did you learn to do that? Practice? Okay. Okay, so tell me a little bit, and this is where I brought Chris up here, okay? Because Chris is the theorist here, and Mike is the practitioner, okay? So, um, Chris, talk us a little bit about rhythm and how it works. Yeah, so the... I feel like I need a chalkboard, because we're about to do math here. When you have a song broken up, the, the measures each get a beat. So if you're in 4-4 time, like Mike's going to demonstrate here, you have four beats in the measure. So count it out for us here. So, so do it again. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. So every, every measure, one whole measure, gets four beats in it. So... Uh, when we say four four time, it means that we have four beats. That's the top one, and the bottom one tells us that the um, the quarter note gets the beat. So every time he's hitting on there, he's hitting a quarter note. But now he's adjusting things, so he's not necessarily always hitting a beat on the quarter note. He's hitting on maybe an eighth note or a sixteenth note or putting something in there. Okay, um, but underneath it, there's always that one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Okay. If off of any of those, then everything falls apart. Okay, so there's also six, eight timing. Yeah, so okay. you can change it up, and there's something called six, eight time, which, uh, oh, come to the altar is in six, eight time. He's going to demonstrate that now. So it changes it up a little bit. It feels like a 4-4 four, because four, you can count it in twos. But what's actually happening in 6-8 is that there are six beats in a measure. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And the 8 is the eighth note gets the full beat this time instead of the quarter note. Okay, so do you think you can teach me to do this? I think you know it now. Okay, so, so tell me what to do. All right, I give up. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. Okay, there's a point to what we're doing up here. And the point is this. That God created us to live within a rhythm of rest. Now, if you notice, when Mike's up there, he's hitting that, and we're in that one, two, three, four. Okay, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Okay. But there's always a gap there, Right? He's not playing the whole time. He plays space, plays space, plays space. And that rhythm is 
only possible when there's gaps of rest that are put in there and repeated on a consistent basis. So this is the idea of a rhythm of rest, is that we repeatedly take rest on a consistent basis and that we learn to live life in that pattern. And we don't do that, it sounds like something I do up there. And when we do do what God's talking about, it sounds like what Mike's doing up there. So let's just walk through this real quickly, how you can add a rhythm of rest to your life. First of all, schedule it. Put it on your calendar. Easy way to do that is to pick a day. And if you can't get a day, start with a chunk of time. But I'm talking something big enough that you can sit back and relax and go, okay, I'm not doing anything right now. I'm just going to take this time and put it on your calendar. Secondly, stop whatever you're doing. Stop. Put down, you know, the phone. Step away from the computer. Computer, walk away from the desk. Whatever it is, you need to stop it and cut it off and say, you know what? I just moved into my Sabbath period. And in Sabbath period, I'm going to rest. I'm not going to work. I'm just going to put that aside. And you need to stop what you're doing. It's almost, you ever see those movies where they have those freeze frames where everybody's running and all of a sudden it just stops? And then this guy kind of peels back the frame and steps out into a new reality. That's what we're talking about. We're just going to stop everything, we're going to peel it back, and we're going to step into this reality of rest. That's the third point, is to actually rest. I like how Peter Scazzaro says it in his book, uh, Emotional Healthy Spirituality. He says, just take a personal snow day. That's how he describes the Sabbath. But it's to relax, it's to slow down, it's to take it easy, even physically. And maybe that's going to be a challenge to actually what we did at the beginning of the service, to just sit there and relax and to, and to try to breathe a little deeper and a little slower. It's to physically ratchet things down. You might even need to take a nap. And you know it's okay. You have God's permission. And when you have God's permission, you don't need anybody else's. Then sanctify the day. This is supposed to be a spiritual activity too. And part of the reason that we stop and slow down is it says, okay, God, I'm giving you my time, and so I'm going to focus on you. This is why I think church is such a great thing on a Sunday, right? It's a great way to say, you know what, we're going to make this day different. We're going to come. No other day of the week do I come in here and, uh, and sit and worship or sit and look at God's Word or, or, or get together like this, okay? And it's a way that we can set it apart to God. But we need to sanctify the day as well. And then I'd say this finally. Celebrate. Remember all the way back there at the very beginning, God made a day. God made the night, and he stepped back, and he said, oh, that's good. And the next day, he'd make the day, and he'd make the night, and he'd step back, and he'd say, oh, that's good. And I think one of the things that we can do in our stories that would help us is if we'd learn to celebrate the goodness of God in our stories. And, and you can do that in all kinds of different ways. I mean, maybe it's just, 
for me, not today, but a lot of times on, on a Sabbath, I'm like, I'm going to go take a walk and I can enjoy nature out there. Or I'm going to, you know, celebrate music if you're really into music. And maybe that's where you can kind of do that. Or maybe it's just food. You could celebrate food through these feasts. But we add things into our days. So as I conclude here this morning, this is something that I try to live by and I don't live by it perfectly. But pretty much when I'm done here on Sunday mornings, I go home and it's, it's Sabbath time. And, and uh, I eat lunch, and sometimes I'll take a nap, and sometimes, you know, when the weather's nice, I'll ride a bike, or I'll watch some football. In the wintertime, I like to watch golf. I'm not really that much into golf. I just like to see someplace that's warm and have hope. I'll read a book, whatever, it's like that, but you know what? I'm not doing it. I'm not doing any church work. I'm done. And I'm not doing any, you know, any of this other stuff. This is the day that I step back, and where I enjoy rest. Well, is your soul exhausted? Maybe it's exhausted because physically you're asking more of your body than what you should be because you're not practicing this principle of Sabbath. And you can, you can put this any time, okay? It's not like Sunday. It has to be Sunday. You could do it Saturday. You could do it Tuesday. That's not the point. The point is that you take a day or that you take significant time to detach from everything going on in your life and say, you know what? <sighs> okay, I'm going to rest. And in the process, you will find health for your soul.